Welcome to the Vida Abundante SoundCloud page. Look us up on Facebook under Vida Abundante Cicero or follow us on Instagram under Vida Abu. We are currently studying Colossians verse by verse. We invite you to join us in this study and open up your Bible on the fourth chapter of Colossians. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Colossians and keep moving forward in our study of the Word. The book of Colossians, if you don't have your Bible, share with someone. And I would really encourage you to get a Bible if you don't. Uh, try to purchase a ESV version, which is a little bit um, more in-depth in the original language. It's a little bit more difficult to read. However, it is more true to its original language. And if you guys need help interpreting it, that's why we are here as pastors. So we are always open to conversation and questions. So we've been studying uh, the book of Colossians, and we've been on chapter 4 for a while. And now I'm going to read a portion that we've been studying in depth, which is the portion between verses 2 through 6. Today we're going to focus on the last two verses of that portion, which is 5 and 6. But now I'm going to read it all together. So uh, hopefully you guys could tune in with me. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And it says this. Once again, I'm reading out of the ESV version. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we're focusing on those last two verses, five and six, uh, but having in mind, once again, the weight of this uh, portion. We have a man in prison, in jail, sharing his heart, writing at the end of his letter kind of the last imperative, the last motivate, motivating factor for the church to keep pushing forward. If you look at verse 5, it says walk in wisdom. That's his last imperative. If you look at that verb, it's a verbal imperative. It's saying walk in wisdom. He's, he's urging the church to be wise. And that reflects his heart. Because in the previous verses, and not only in the previous verses, but the whole book of Colossians, we have this guy in chains, in prison, writing to a church, wanting for that church to spread the gospel. And so in, these, in this portion that we've been studying, he's asking for prayer. He's telling the church to be a church of prayer. And then he's asking for personal prayer so that the mission of the church becomes accomplished. So that the mission of the church is extended. So that the mission of the church gets done. Now this is a man that is passionate about the mission, is passionate about the gospel. Everything that we sang today, if, if you're new to church or if you haven't been around church for a while and, and you look at and you were thinking about the words that we were singing like, like the blood of Christ, the rugged cross and, and all this bloody gory stuff that comes out of it, right? And you're like, why are we singing about blood? Why are we singing about this nasty stuff? This is weird. And, and the reason why we sing those things or those words, it's because that in itself is the gospel. If it wasn't for the blood of Christ, our sins wouldn't be washed away. So the sons of God can delight knowing that their sins have been forgiven. If you're a Christian, if you're a son of God, you can delight that your sins 
are washed away. Can you imagine that? You, you yourself know how bad of a person you are, right? And I don't want to, like, be over-imposing on you saying you guys are all evil. But, I mean, we all know ourselves. We know what we think. We know what's going on in our minds. We know what's going on in our thoughts every day. And some of those thoughts may not be the purest thoughts, correct? May not be the best thoughts. Or sometimes our actions, when no one's looking, may not be the best ones. So we kind of get that. But then we know that by the blood of Christ, it has been washed away. It's been clean. We got a clear slate uh, before us. And that's why Paul is so emphatic in these last portions, because he's worried about the gospel message. Here we have a man that's locked up in chains, locked up in prison, maybe doing life. He doesn't know if he's going to get out, but he's hoping to get out for the purpose of spreading the gospel. But he has this burning message within him. Who is going to spread the word of God? Can God open up another door for the message of Christ, the mystery of Christ to be exposed and explained and given to everyone that's going to be uh, hearing it? Can, can the message of Christ keep moving forward even though I am locked up in chains? This is his heart. This is his heart for the church. I believe this, is our, this should be our heart for the people that are out there. He's worried about them. He wants the people of the church in Colossae to return to the mission and to never lose focus of the mission, which is gospel, presenting the gospel, giving the gospel to the people on the outside so that they can avoid being a sectarian sect. A, a people that separate themselves from the world. If you, if you look at our modern day and you can look around the United States and there's certain sects that have arisen, even from the early 50s and on, the, there's these communes that, that started arising even in the, in the golden age of the 50s and, and, and later on in the 60s and, and 70s, this golden age of the Jesus movement and people that started living together in communes and they started separating themselves from the world and it was just Christians. And, and from there, a lot of different movements started to rise up. If you look, uh, if you visited or if you ever traveled east of the United States and you head towards uh, Boston, I remember this because I used to go that way a lot, and you go through Pennsylvania and you begin, you begin to see a lot of uh, uh, horses with carriages on them. And there's people on them, and there's Amish people on them, and, and they have like these communities of strictly Amish people where, where it's only Amish people, and, and they're Christian, but they've separated themselves from the world because the world is tainted. The world is evil. The world is bad. But what Paul is calling the church in these verses is to avoid that because his heart is to evangelize the gospel. And even in Paul's day, it was very... Uh, People in the churches wanted to do that. In Paul's time, that's why he's so emphatic here. In, in Paul's day, they, they wanted to separate themselves from the world because they thought they were the, the chosen that, that needed no one else, only those certain people. So Paul in this passage is, is warning the people about being separate from the world. And then he's bringing back the church to that evangelistic zeal, that, that passion to preach the gospel. He wants the church to be a church that preaches and gives the gospel. Kind of what he felt in 2 Corinthians when he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's his heart. He's before God, fearing God, the majesty, the glorious God, 
he sees man's flaws. He sees the world is in utter turmoil. And he wants to provide those on the outside a way out. He wants to provide to those on the outside the gospel, which is the healing factor of every heart. Israel read from Isaiah chapter 53, a very prophetic messianic uh, prophecy from the Old Testament. And it talks about our transgressions, our iniquities, our sins were bore upon Jesus. So it's us. It's, we are the, the issue. We are the problem. And only Christ is the remedy. So these verses are very important for us. It's only two verses in this portion, but they're very important. And so that's why we start off with this verbal imperative in verse 5. So go with me back to verse 5, and we're going to read that once again. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Here, this is, this is a perfect phrase that we could understand. We are to walk wisely or live wisely for the purpose of what? Of the outsiders. Now I'm going to explore that a little bit more right now. But here's Paul's main point. The church, especially the church in Colossae, is to be wise, is to act wisely towards those on the outside. It's people outside of the church that see the church with speculation and with criticism. And so for Paul, it is very important for that church to live and walk wisely. So the, we get in the previous verses the ingredients of these effective prayers. Why we are to pray and what's involved in effective prayer. And now what Paul is focusing on here now is how to be effective in our evangelism. How to be effective in the gospel. How to be effective uh, witnesses of the gospel. And to a certain extent, if you're a Christian and if you're here, you have to ask yourselves, how can I be effective in my evangelism? How, how can I be effective by talking to people about Christ? When's the last time I invited somebody to church and, 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 and wasn't ashamed of it? Or when was the last time you invited somebody to church? And so these things for us are very important. It's not just the church in Colossae that has to focus about this. It's us. We have to be worried about the message of Christ. We have to be worried about spreading the gospel. We have to be worried about letting others know who Christ is. Every one of you guys are in a certain setting that, that the church, if we were all to, like, we can't all go to your work. We can't all go to your office. We can't all go with you to the place where you're working Monday through Friday. I mean, all of us are going to go to work tomorrow, correct? Right? Who's going to work tomorrow? Raise your hand. How many of you guys are looking forward to that? Well, now you're going to have a mission to go to work. You're going to look forward to going to work or school, whatever. And some of you guys are young. If you guys are going to school tomorrow, those settings, those environments are perfect for you to spread and to live wisely amongst those who are not in church or, or more importantly, are not part of God's people. So here in this first verse, we have Paul demanding a walk or a lifestyle that is characterized by wisdom. The words here, we can substitute them for walk, live, act wisely. The world sees our attitudes. The world, the outside world evaluates our person, our speech, our talk, our walk. Everything that we do is scrutinized by those on the outside. 
And, and you can put that to the test today, tomorrow at work. If you haven't told somebody that you go to church on Sunday, tell somebody that you go to church on Sunday and see how they react. If they react positively, they'll be like, oh, I understand. Yeah, now it all makes sense now. No wonder you show up on time to work every, every day. No wonder you're, you're, you're faithful to your job. No wonder you don't waste time at the, at the water cooler. No wonder you don't uh, skip out on job and say that you're sick. No wonder, no wonder. Or they can say, well, you go to church, really? Is that what they teach you to do at church? You don't show up on time? You, you steal staples from the staple gun? <laughs> you, 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 take, uh, you take longer breaks than you're supposed to? You're, you're not uh, in your seat doing what you're supposed to be doing? You're walking around wasting time, wasting the company's time? I mean, all of that stuff is put to the test, and that's why Paul says walk wisely. Peripatete. It's an imperative verb that says live, have a lifestyle that reflects what? That reflects wisdom, being wise. That's a very important thing for this culture and for our time. But in, in Paul's context, it isn't just being a, a wise person in, in, in many subjects or in many aspects of our life. But what Paul is talking about here is, is the wisdom of realizing, if you, if you guys have read chapter 1, it's realizing the will of God for your life. Chapter 1, verse 9. That is true wisdom, according to Paul in chapter 1. True wisdom is knowing God's will in my life. How do I act according to what God has planned for my life? Knowing God's will understanding God's will, living by that call upon my life as a Christian. Wisdom also reflects living in a manner, if you read the next verse in chapter 1, verse 10, in a manner worthy of God. Not only do I understand what God wants from me, but I'm going to live in a manner that is worthy towards that calling. I'm going to honor God by living according to what he's called me to do. You're not going to live in argument. You're not going to live in contrast to the calling of God in your life because you want to live to honor him. So what Paul is saying is when you live, as you walk, as you are a regular person in Colossae back in that day, as you live your life, make sure you live wisely. That people know that you know who God is. That's the greatest implication of this. The people are to live as if they know who God is. They are to live in a manner that says, I know God. And because I know God, I'm going to live in a way that honors God. My lifestyle is going to reflect, is going to show my humbleness and my servanthood towards God. That's what living wisely is. That's what it is to live in the world. And so the, quali the qualifying subject here is we live wisely because of outsiders. What does it say in verse 5? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Two, toward with the focus of those on the outside. Now, a lot of our time in our culture, and back in, in Paul's time too, it's it's living for your own purposes. It's living for your own wisdom. It's living for your own benefits. And that was heavily involved in, in Hellenistic uh, cultures of, of, of Paul's time in first century. And it's heavily influenced in our time. 
We all, we don't want to live for anybody else. Man, this is my life. This is what I want to do. Ain't nobody going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do as I do. I'm going to live as how I want to live. And no one else has anything to say about that. Not, not the pastor right there talking in the front. Not this person sitting to, next to me. Not my wife or my husband sitting on this side. I'm, I live for myself. I would like to see you tell that to your wife out loud and see what she says. But we aren't living for ourselves. We have a specific call as a church. And remember, this is a church call. You're part of the church. We are part of the church. We are those that are chosen by God, apart from the world, called from the world. As a church, we are to live towards, focused in the direction of those on the outside. This is this vocabulary is very rich because Paul is a Jew, is a Jewish person that understands what it, what how the Jewish people viewed the outsider. If you were sick, if you had leprosy, if you had if you were cast out by, the, by, by your people, you lived outside the walls. You lived as, as garbage on the outside. You, no one would talk to you. No one would touch you. No one would be next to you. No one would want to spend time with you. People that lived on the outside rightly have been called the outsiders. They, they're not part of the in-group. They're not part of the chosen ones. They're not part of those on the inside. And this notion is prevalent. If you guys read back in Colossians chapter 2, this Jewish notion is very prevalent. And it infiltrated the church so much so that it can cause that sectarian spirit. Separate them. They're garbage. Ew, they're dirty. They're filthy. They live on the outside. They are part of the world. And we are the pure church, the pure world. And so our job is to remain pure. On one sense, that's correct. But Paul here, what Paul is stressing, this is very important. What Paul is stressing here is to live purely in an unpure world. Live wisely in a world that is bombarding that wisdom on a daily basis. Live according to your call, calling from God in a world that doesn't know God. This is very important. That's how the church is supposed to act. Our direction, our guide, our, our way is for the outsider. We don't separate from them in a manner to say they are disgusting. They, are, they don't know church. They don't come to Vida Abundante on Sunday morning. No, they're, 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 those people are whack. All those people that are sleeping right now, man, I wish God would come right now and, 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 and light fire in their beds. Or, or, or We don't live that way. We're not supposed to live that way. Because in Paul's heart, he has this burning desire to preach to them and evangelize to them. Why? So that they are no longer outsiders. Pretty simple. Gospel is pretty simple, my friends. We're lucky ones. We are the ones that have been called by grace. There is grace over us. Me and you can rejoice and we can sing what we just sang this morning. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You and I get that privilege to sing that every day that we're here and live that every day. We've been called and chosen by grace. Now, you and I know people on the outside that don't understand that. That don't know that. And they think that religion and church is just some waste of time. 
Why go to church? Why, why give them our money? Why, why? I don't need the church. Everyone needs God, and everyone needs to know God's grace. There's broken people out there. A lot of your friends and a lot of your family members are broken. As Isaiah, they're, they're pressed down by their transgressions. They're, they're just bad. They've lost all hope. And you're sitting there eating with them maybe on a Monday night or Tuesday night, and you don't share the gospel. And you don't say, look, man, you've been called by grace, God's grace over your life. You need to know who this Christ is. And that's a very strong message Paul, with Paul. That's why he starts off with that imperative. Walk in a, in a worthy manner towards the outsiders because it is for their benefit that they see what a godly person can live like. We are to preach to them, to, to send that message and not have this tendency to be exclusive. We are not an exclusive elite group of people. We are called to go out. We cannot harbor a false sense of privilege. Oh, I'm, I've been called. I'm chosen. I got this privilege to be in church. Woohoo! Thanks for me and forget about everybody else. What about the gangbangers on the outside? What about the dope dealers on the outside? What about those that are involved in sexual crimes? What about those living filthy lives on the outside? What about those people and who is going to spread the message to them? What about those big shots in business? What about those big shots that have a lot of money that have depended on their own lifestyle for, for their own benefits, for their own riches, for their own toys? What about them? Who's going to talk to them about the gospel? They're on the outside. And we are called to go towards to them, especially with how we live, with how we act. It is to live a, in a world as a Christian, but not as the world. Here, here's the, the friction, right? Paul, if we read in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul calls us to be distinct. We are distinct from the world. We are, we are different from the world, yet we are to live and be and call the world. That's the friction that the Christian lives. We, we are to live this Christian life, but where are we supposed to live it? We're supposed to live it on the outside. If we were just called to live in church... It would be easier, right? We, then we could just be in church all day and everyone loves each other and everyone uh, loves to sing the same songs and everyone could just get along in church. But we're not exclusively to live in this community and share everything that we have with each other, although sharing is good. But we are called to live on the outside. And so Paul, in his first emphasis here, he's talking about living a lifestyle that is wise and then he goes on to say, you're going to live wisely towards outsiders, but you're also going to be wise in your time. Look what it says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That's the first point. Making the best use of the time. That's the second point. How are we to walk wisely? How are we to live wisely amongst others? Well, we have to be wise with our time. He has an emphasis on this 
time. And isn't time a commodity nowadays? Isn't time so valuable for us? Like, we, we want to get things done and out of the way quickly because the couch and Netflix is what's calling us back home. Or just eating or enjoying a sports game. Now that football season is coming back. Man, I'm going to do a Bible study on Monday night during football season and see how that works out. It's probably just going to be me and my kids. But that's calm. That's more important. That's more appealing. That's more me. That's for me, man. I want that. That fills my needs. Making the best use of the time. Now, this phrase is very interesting because it is a commercial phrase in the Greek. It, it, it is a phrase that is used in commercial, in the marketplace, in the agora. That's the, that's the marketplace in, in Greek terminology, the agora. So the word in itself is ex agorazo. So it's the marketplace with a prefix at the front of it that says ek, out of, buy out of the market. Buy out, buy as much as you can. So it's an emphatic construction of this word. What it's saying here is buy up, redeem, buy to the opportunity to exhaust all possibilities. What is it saying then? The English translators use this type of language that says make the best use of the time. We can translate it to say buy up every opportunity. I mean, have, have this in mind. I don't know if you guys played that, that Black Friday game where... Things are on sale, and you try to buy up as much as you can, like if it's, if it's a PlayStation or if it's an Xbox or if it's a television, whatever it is, and, and it's on sale for 100% off or 90% off, whatever it is, and, and you go to Black Friday, you get in line, and you spend those 24 hours in front of Best Buy, and then you run in and you try to buy eight of those television sets or eight of those PlayStation sets or eight of those Xbox sets. Why? So that you could go back home and sell them on eBay for double the price, right? I've never done that because I, I, I just, I think it's pointless to wake up that early but for, for that. But maybe some of you guys have done that and you try to use the best use of the time. You're buying up every opportunity for what? To make money. Nothing wrong with that, but that's what this is implying. You're buying up every opportunity to spread the gospel. This, Paul isn't talking about Best Buy here. Paul isn't talking about Black Friday here. Paul is talking about to live with the outsider. Now, this is, this is very important, especially in the Colossian church. If they have that tendency to be sectarian, to separate themselves, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You live with and towards the outsider. And in every opportunity, this isn't like Paul saying, hey, whenever you have a chance, you know, just talk to them. Say Jesus loves you. Even if you just walk by, like, hey, Jesus loves you. And Paul isn't saying that. Paul is saying every opportunity, every moment you have, buy it up. Invest. Deposit. Give. To invest in that one person. So many of you may have a friend or a family member that you really love that may be distant from God or maybe at one point was in church and now are just like, I don't want to go back to church. And, or maybe they've just given up on faith. And they don't want anything to do with God and now they know that you go to church and, and they're like, man, you know what, don't even, after Sunday, don't, 
Don't come back with that nonsense. Don't talk to me about that stuff. And you have a burden in your heart for them. Live wisely towards them and make special use of your time with them. Do not waste your time with them. Every opportunity you have, snap it up. Take it. Because there's a certain urgency for their lives. There's a famous pastor that says we must preach as dying men to dying men. We are in a world that is decaying because of sin. And we are to preach the gospel in that decaying world. These are opportunities that you have as a church. Paul is telling that to the church. And it echoes in 2018. You that are a part of Vida. You want to say it in Spanish or Spanglish? Vida Abundante. We're part of that church. We can't just sit here lazily, show up every Sunday, and I'm saved. I know Jesus. He loves me. And I'm good. I don't need to say anything else. No, my friend, you cannot come here comfortably and just suck up air. You need to evangelize. You are called to live wisely with others. The, the, the Christian, if I, if to, for lack of a better word, the Christian religion is not a comfortable one. If you look at the Gospels, we're called up to carry our cross daily, to be in repentance mode, to be sold out for Christ, to be completely servants of Christ. This isn't a comfortable faith where we could just come sit down and relax and drink coffee. The chairs may be comfortable, and the coffee sure is good. But that's not all. There's an imperative over our lives to preach the gospel. What am I to do in life? What am I supposed to be in life? Now I got my job. I got my career. Like, what else is there to do? Okay, let's start here. Preach the word of God. Spread the gospel. Live wisely. Know who God is so that you can allow others to see God in you. You want to get those friends, those people to come to church, but they don't see God in you? It's going to be very difficult, my friend. It's going to be very difficult. But this tension exists. How are we supposed to live in this world? But Paul has this sense of calling over his life. Look at, look at Colossians chapter 3. Just go back to Colossians. Here's Paul's calling. Here's the tension that occurs. I'm going to read this very quickly with you guys. Chapter 3, verse 5 and on. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but, you now, but, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with, with its practices and have put the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of after the image of its creator. That's a, lot, that's a mouthful. That was how we once lived, Paul says. We were sexually immoral. We were impure. We were, we were passionate for evil desires and covetedness. We, we were idolaters. And in a sense, Paul is saying, that's what the outside world is still. Are you to be like that again? 
Paul says, no, this is how you once were. Now look at what it says in verse, in the same chapter, look at what it says in verse, verses 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Here it is. How are we supposed to live? Towards outsiders. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When, when the outsiders see that that's how we live here, that's the distinction that we have, living holy before God. And so then it becomes easier to evangelize. It becomes easier to spread the gospel because they've seen the difference. Sexually immoral, idolaters, covetedness. Here we have compassionate hearts, graceful hearts, patience. That's the difference. And that's how we win those on the outside. Win them over. Use the best. Uh, buy up every opportunity. To spread the gospel. And, and here in these last minutes, here's what Paul focuses on. This is a very popular phrase that exists in our modern culture. You may have heard the phrase, and I've said this before in our Spanish service, and Paul really is against that. But there's a phrase that says, um, preach the gospel, spread the gospel, and when possible, use words. Implying that... We can preach the gospel just by how we act, by how we love, by how we treat one another. And to a certain extent, that's partially true because that's what Paul focuses on in the beginning of verse 5. We live in a manner that, that can be justified before others, that we are different, that we know God. But then what does verse 6 say? It says, let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Friends, it's the way we act and the way we speak. It's what we do and what we say. That's how we become messengers of God's word. The gospel is always supposed to be proclaimed, spoken, spoken of. There's a lot of good people that do a lot of good stuff in the world that, that don't know God, that are atheists. And they feed the hungry and they build homes and habitats for humanity. And they do all these good things. And that's great. But they don't know God. So it isn't a faith of just doing. It is of speaking and speaking the truth. But this is how Paul describes our speech. Not only are we supposed to act wisely towards the outsider, but how are we supposed to talk to the outsiders? Those on the outside. And pardon for using that Repeating that word often, it's just, it's just so you guys can see the contrast of those that are inside and those that are on the outside. But generally, those people that don't know God or don't want anything to do with God. How are we supposed to act and speak towards them? Well, first thing is, Paul says, speak with grace. Be gracious. Be charming. Have a speech that is loving towards outsiders. That's why we don't go out as a church with, with signs that, says, that say, you all are going to hell if you don't come to church. 
That's why we don't march the streets with signs and, and picket uh, Planned Parenthood and, and stuff like that. And we don't do things like that with harmful and hateful speech saying everyone's going to hell. That's why you don't see me out on the corners of Michigan Avenue with a megaphone saying, everyone repent, you're going to hell and stuff like that. There's a certain grace that needs to be done. You have to speak with grace. You have to give that charming and, and, and type of, that type of voice that, that is graceful to the ears. And especially in the context of Paul, where everyone is viewing the Christian community as a sect of atheists. The, the first century uh, people viewed Christians as atheists. If you guys didn't know that, that's how Christians were viewed because they didn't worship the emperor. They didn't believe in the gods of the Roman Empire, so they were viewed as atheists. So everything you said and everything you did was scrutinized. And that's why Paul is saying to the church, be gracious in your talk. And then he says, not only be gracious in your talk, but then he says, seasoned with salt. Your, your, your speech should be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? This is a metaphor for words that are witty and winsome. Have you ever talked with someone that, that is witty, that has insightful information? Not only gracious, but knows what he's talking about. And if we're going to be experts in something, friends, you know, maybe none of us can be all experts on, on physics or experts in health or experts in history or experts in math, even though some of you guys may be. But we can all be experts in the word of God, in the gospel, in the message of Christ. And this message is supposed to be given with grace, but also with flavor, being witty and winsome. If you guys remember what Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says, it says that we are the salt of the world. The, the salt of the world, being the Christians, should have some flavor in their conversations. We should not be dull or insipid. Have no flavor. That's why back in the day, Christianity was viewed like, man, that religion is boring. All those people are fundamentalists. All those people are just dull. Like, you can't talk to a Christian because you'll, you'll, you'll die of boredom. That's not how our conversation is supposed to go. It's supposed to be seasoned with salt. There's supposed to be some flavor in this. And then once again, we ask the question, why? That we come back down to the main core element of Paul's argument and just say, okay, Paul, why? Why? And we hear Paul's voice coming back from 2 Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls us. We are before dying men that will be inevitably, inevitably in tra trajectory towards hell. And it is this love that we have towards God and towards the world that we want to bring them on board. Our message then should be with grace and with flavor so that what is the outcome of this graceful, flavorful, flavorful message? Paul says in verse, at the end of verse 6, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here's the outcome of this. As a Christian, when you spread the message with grace and with flavor, the greatest outcome that you'll have 
as Paul says, is people are going to ask questions. They're going to ask you, like, hey, okay, so, so what do you, how do you, what is church about? What is this? I'm interested now. I, I want to know a little bit more. And, and, and what does he say? You, you're going to answer them. You're going to know how to answer. You have understanding. You don't just say, hey, Jesus loves you. And then when someone asks you a question, you're like, uh, let me ask the pastor. Uh, uh, let me go look for somebody to talk. Uh, I, I don't know. No. You know. You have a message that you share. You spread a message that you know because you know the God of the message. It's simple. You know the God of the message. You spread the message because you know what the message says and what it implies. And then you can answer with understanding. So that church in Colossae had a big imperative over their lives. They were supposed to live in a Hellenistic culture that is contra-Christianity. And they were supposed to live peacefully. They were supposed to live with wisdom. They were supposed to speak with grace and with flavor. And they were supposed to answer the questions with understanding. So at the end, these conversations, of these conversations, the, the church can explain to them what the message of the gospel was. And if you look at Paul's epistles, it's the message of the cross. It's the message of Christ crucified, Christ dying, and then Christ resurrecting. Questions are results of good conversations. And we are to have these conversations with those on the outside. So, Sunday morning, we're here, we're gathered together. We, uh, we've come to worship and we've come to listen to the word of God. But there is this divine imperative over your life. You take these last couple of minutes to examine yourself. Am I living with wisdom now? How's my, how's my life categorized? Can people say that person is wise or that person's a fool, man. He's just wasting his time. He, 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 he's in school. He's out of school. He doesn't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They, they don't have a job. They don't have a career. They don't, they don't, you know, like, how is your life categorized? Are you a wise person? And especially, do you know who God is? Or do you just say you go to church? And then how's your speech towards others? When, when's the last time you did talk to somebody to, about Christ? And then evaluate that conversation. Were you afraid? Were you kind of embarrassed? Or were you a little bit aggressive? Were you angry when you said it? Were you uh, kind of putting them down for, for not believing in the God? How evaluate that? And then ask yourself, can I be what Paul is describing here? Can I share the message? in this way so that the outcome is conversations with questions that I can answer with understanding. And let me tell you, friends, if, if this congregation, if this group of people, I think there's 40 of us here, I don't know, 40, 50 of us here, if, if we take this imperative to heart, man, there's going to be a lot of people here that never knew anything about God and can come before God's throne and be forgiven their sins washed away, and they could be called to life just like you. So thank God that you're here and that you know who God is and that your sins are forgiven. But now it's time for us to do the same with those on the outside.
let's stand up. And let's pray again that we become people who spread the good news. If you need help in doing so, that's why we're here. Talk to us. Hey, Jonathan, what's the best way to start up a conversation about God? I'll give you some pointers, or you can talk to Henry right here. He's one of the main dudes. He, he, he knows all the answers. You can talk to him about that. But we're here to help you, and, uh, and we'll be praying for your family members. Think about somebody that you want to pray for today, and we're going to pray for them right now. Uh, it may be a family member. It may be a brother. It may be a sister. It may be a cousin, friend from high school, whatever. We'll put them in God's hands and pray for them during this week, and you'll see how God begins to change their hearts. So let's pray. Father, we, first of all, we, we thank you and we honor you by allowing us to, to come before you and worship you. Lord, thank you for this grace that you've given us. You've saved us. You've washed us. And now we want to share that message with others. Not because it's just part of who we are, but it is a demand upon our lives as Christians to spread the gospel. It is our duty to go out make disciples, share the good news, because this world is dying and is filled in chaos. And they need God. Our schools need God. Our government needs God. And so at this very moment, Lord, we come before you humbled as a congregation, and every single one of us here may have somebody in mind. Maybe it's that brother that is just caught up in so much confusion or maybe it's that sister that has no hope, who has felt abandoned and believes that God isn't real. Or a mother and father that are caught up in idolatry and other aspects of their life and hate God for doing evil upon them or for believing he did evil upon them. Maybe a friend from high school. It may be a spouse. Whoever it is, Lord, we put them before you today. And we pray for their lives. Whatever their names may be, we pray for them. Lord, soften their hearts. It is your word that can turn a heart of rock into a heart of stone. Father, use us for the next time that we go and we approach those at our work, at our schools, that we do so wisely, that we do so with, with gracious speech and with flavorable speech. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all stand. Amen. Amen, y'all. Thank you. I'll see you guys next week. Be ready.